नमस्ते जय हिंद वेलकम टू अनदर एडिशन ऑफ ए एन आई पॉडकास्ट विद स्मिता प्रकाश वी आर रिकॉर्डिंग एंड ब्रॉडकास्टिंग दिस एपिसोड ऑन द वीक ऑफ विजय दिवस वीव ऑल्सो जस्ट रिसेंटली हर्ड ऑफ चाइनीज अग्रेशन ऑन आर बॉर्डर वी आर ऑनर टूडे टू हैव अमिस्ट अर्स जनरल मनोज मुकुंद नरावने इन दिस पॉडकास्ट आई एम ऑल्सो ज्वाइंट बाई माई कॉलीग डिफेंस एडिटर अजीत दुबे General Manoj Mukund Narawane served as the 27th Chief of the Army Staff till April 2022. He took over from General Bipin Rawat. General Narawane's tenure was an action-filled one, especially the Chinese aggression of 2000. General Narawane's contribution in pushing back the enemy will make it to history books someday. But as you will see in the podcast, the mild-mannered general will never speak much about his own role in India's counter-move that resulted in India's troops regaining advantage on the border. However, General Narawane took us back to that period when we were attacked along the line of actual control. What happened then? What were the lessons learned? How it has probably impacted in our reaction to China's aggression in 2022? General Narawane we are so honored that you're here with us Ajit and I have had the good fortune of attending your press briefings have met you in your office uh, when you were chief of army staff uh, you know when uh, when a chief of army sa- staff uh, superannuates the uh, the establishment whether it is uh, your the political establishment or the services they get to say thank you but civilians don't get to say thank you to you sir so thank you for your services and on behalf of all our viewers all our listeners uh we are most grateful for what you have done for our country uh, thank you smita and ajit for uh, having me here today and i'm grateful for your thanks but the thanks are not actually due to me but to the entire indian army who is actually in uh, the service of the nation so that's uh, that's again typical of you to say this you no, that's, that's the fact actually <laughs> right so uh, for our viewers and our listeners uh, we are running uh, this program a day um, uh, before vijay divas and uh, also we are running this uh, program a day after it has come uh, to the attention of all of us that uh, there has been a chinese aggression uh, in arunachal pradesh and as we are uh, recording this program uh raksha mantri is uh, speaking or going to speak soon in parliament uh, the three service chiefs have briefed the raksha mantri um, uh, mr rajnath singh and he is going to be speaking in parliament so in the middle of the show we will probably interrupt and get uh, general saab's views on this um general narwane uh, you know when uh, when china tried to alter the status of the line of actual control this was on uh in may 2020 uh at that time you were the army chief uh tell us what happened then uh and uh, the subsequent months because the tension continued uh, the aggression continued for several months and uh what was the situation then and how did you deal with it well you see china has been uh, trying to alter the status quo along the lac uh, for many years and decades in fact mm-hmm. and they have been doing this in very small incremental steps which by themselves do not look very dangerous they actually look quite innocuous you know what we call salami slicing you know coming up one inch at a time but in the bargain over a period of time they have gained a lot and this is the 
tactics that they were have adopted and were continuing to do but there was a time to say this much and no further hmm. so that is what actually happened as they kept trying to probe especially north of the pangangso and they were trying to probe and come closer and closer in these areas of differing perception you know they come time and again and then they try to make that the historical fact hmm. that we have always been coming here so they try to alter the status quo as it is existing when you say come what does that mean when they come and they don't leave you mean they stay sometimes they that, that is what we contest hmm. that is precisely what happens in these areas where we have different perceptions we also patrol up to our perception line they come up to their perception line but right. while this is happening if the patrols come face to face at the same time then obviously there is a chance of a skirmish or a clash happening so what happened in 2020 did we not have the intel that they have come and they are not leaving no it is not that they came and were not leaving they were uh, they were continuously patrolling up to where they thought that they should be coming but they were not allowing us to go where we out to go hmm. therefore we had to be more assertive and push them back and that is where the clashes occurred whether it is on north bank of pangangso or whether it is in pp15 where of course those unfortunate casualties took place so pp15 means uh, the galwan valley the galwan valley that's right so what happened in galwan sir as i said uh, we have been always patrolling up to pp15 but they were trying to stop us from going to a traditional patrolling point <clears throat> and that was totally unacceptable to us and to stop us from coming they had established a small outpost you can say just two tents hmm. and we objected very vehemently to that but this they, was in may 2020 it it was ongoing or ongoing okay it was going on hmm. so we objected vehemently to that but they were uh, adamant that they would not go back and therefore we had to be more assertive and that is when uh, they also came with additional strength and the entire clash happened in that area of short of means on our side of pp15 but as a result we were able to make sure that they go back so when you say we are uh, we were assertive we were vehement what does that translate to actually yeah so you see <coughs> over the years there have been many protocols which have been laid down whether it is uh, on uh, border peace and tranquility agreement the bpta or protocol on confidence building measures hmm. so in all of them there are various provisions to make sure that such clashes do not occur hmm. for example if two patrols come to face to face they to stop wherever we first see each other hmm. and then only the leaders come up along with one buddy and negotiate at that point and then they go back you are not supposed to come close together the strength of the patrols have been laid down so that obviously if both sides are of equal strength the chances of a clash are less hmm. but the one side is 500 and the other side is 15 and obviously the side which is 500 feels emboldened so over a period of time they were violating one by one all the provisions of those those agreements so at some point we had also to counter them if so they were violating then obviously we had to take counter measures that is what i mean by we were more assertive and not taking things lying down 
See, as per the timeline which we have, I mean, there are very various timelines to this because nobody is quite sure. But uh, in May, China transgresses in 2020. In August, India accuses China of provoking, and then subsequently several transgressions happen. And as you said, we protest, we object. Then India accuses China of provoking military tensions twice in August. China denies blames India for standoff. In September China accuses India of firing shots at its troops. And then exchange of fire first time in 45 years happen. Now you're the army chief at that time. What was going on in your mind because were you then at that time because you've said several times that you have to be prepared for war. As an army chief you have to prepare your troops for war. So were you prepared for war at that stage with China? Uh, see the transgressions are not actually localized only eastern ladakh we have areas of different perceptions right from eastern ladakh to arunachal and these transgressions are happening from hmm. time to time in various places in <coughs> eastern ladakh in the central sector barahoti in sikkim hmm. uh, in arunachal hmm. so this is a quite a something that we always prepared to counter but as i said the various agreements which are in place categorically rule out the use of force or resorting to firing but you cannot only observe one paragraph of the agreement and violate all others so if you have violated all the others then i am free to fire so you cannot accuse me of firing when you have done all the violations hmm. that doesn't that is does that mean you will come with 5000 people and i will just keep sitting obviously i will fire and that is what they were scared of and that is the moment we opened fire they realized that they made a mistake and this whole gamut of this border agreement has gone to a different level altogether and that is what imposed caution on them for the first time ever they were cautious that this tactics or this strategy of theirs of trying to overwhelm by superior force will not work in the face of India retaliating. In India retaliating or opening fire. Right. For the benefit of our listeners and viewers, one second, Ajit. I'm just going to come to you. I'll just you know because there are many instances when we talk about it. But you know, as journalists, you and I might understand. But uh, if there is a student, for example, or somebody sitting uh, outside of India who may not be aware of the complexity of this, just a small explainer. Um, you know um if you don't understand the uh, boundary engagement that india has with china uh, there's just a small explainer that in 1993 an agreement was signed where india and china between india and china that neither side will use or threaten to use force against uh, each other by any means no activities of either side um, shall overstep the line of control and in case personnel of one side cross the line of actual control uh remember it's line of actual control lac as opposed to loc which is on our western front now on lac in case the personnel of one side actually cross uh, as general sab was explaining then like for example if china crosses or somebody from china crosses then the indian side uh shall warn them caution them and say that you have crossed so once that caution happens but more relevant part about uh, this agreement is that neither side shall open fire or hunt with guns and explosives within 2 kilometers of from the line of actual control now the line of actual control is also kind of not defined in many places so that's where all the trouble also occurs so it brings me to the um 
initial question I had, General Saab, that there was this agreement and then there was this aggression and they were pushing us. This was now, you are the army yes. chief. What so happens then? This was precisely the agreement I was referring to, Sir. the 1993 one, where it specifically mentioned that there will be no unilateral change of the status quo. You will not come with weapons, you will not come with arms. But if you are now coming with clubs studded with barbed wire, what does that mean? Hmm. You violated the agreement. Okay. It was the first time that this club with wires happened? So they have been doing that. They've been doing so as okay. I said, they have been con continuously violating the agreement. Okay. Now if you have violated half the agreement, that doesn't mean that we will not, uh, we will just keep listening and chup chap to nahi bethe rehenge. Hamne bhi kuch karna hai aur karenge. Aur wohi kya hamne. The nature of the enemy has been similar, persistent or was it altering we saw in the 2000s? No, they have, uh, their long-term strategy has always been the same, to keep uh, inching forward and keep probing us for any possible weakness. And if there is a weakness, okay. then come and sit there and then always say that this is how it always was. Mm -hmm. So therefore, every small probe, probing action has to be contested. In that. In that Ajit, light. you were you were a question, uh, sir. I, uh, you said uh, that uh, the Chinese were violating the agreement by bringing in large number of troops, armed and all. So uh, this uh, prior to uh, May twenty twenty aggression, which they did, and the story came out. How big were the numbers? Mother, uh, how did they manage to bring in so many troops so close to our uh, border? We we have heard there was an exercise; they diverted troops from there. But, uh, like, uh, how did we know that this is happening? No, see, whenever patrolling is going on, we always come to know that the patrols are there and are coming. We just mentioned about Yangtze at the beginning of the talk. So, when they are assembling, we do come to know that they are assembling. Hmm. So, it's not that you are taken entirely by surprise. But the fact is that we don't expect them to violate an agreement. It is an agreement that is it's being violated time and again. So that is the point to note that if you are violating the agreement, then we reserve the right to take any action that we deem. So fit. this agreement was signed, uh, you know, decades ago. But how do you, as an army chief, tell your men to defend a hot border with no weapons? How do you? How are you going to instill yeah. in your men? and women now, uh, that confidence to, there's a hot border, you have an enemy which is coming at you. How do you defend it? Yeah. So I will uh, like to clarify when you say no weapons, we carry weapons. It is not that weapons are not carried. But that is where our men have to exercise great restraint that mm. in the face of provocation, not to fire because we are, as gentlemen, following the agreement. But, when the enemy or when the PLA was violating these agreements, then we also told them that if they are violating, then you are free to take whatever actions you want to take in your self-defense. What is the weapon that you uh, that is carried, if I may ask, and where is it carried? Is it carried on the on the body of the uh, the soldier who's there, yes, or yes. is when it? you go for a patrol, you go totally armed and expecting the worst. It and is, a firearm. Yes, a firearm. You carry your rifles, you carry your uh, light machine guns, you carry your ammunition, you are ready to meet any eventuality. 
it's not that you'd go patrolling with uh, just dandas in your hand hmm. <laughs> not that okay. so there was somewhere it came that you know the uh, indian troops were unarmed i'm sorry that is not a correct uh, statement which came or report which came at that point every patrol which goes goes ready to meet any eventuality they're armed as per the laid down uh, you know, scales and as per the patrol that they're going for and they were equipped also accordingly if their patrol has to cross some water obstacle they will be carrying their expedients to cross that water obstacle or that river or nala hmm. they just don't go uh, as as if they're going for a picnic right so it's it's a little hard for us to uh, to understand that uh, that an indian soldier is carrying a weapon he sees his unit chief being killed and doesn't use his weapon that is why there was this there was this outrage that you know how why yeah, so although we did not fire we also resorted in a similar vein so you see that it was always a question of who will open fire first hmm. so since we felt that we had the measure of the pla troops over there we also countered them in the same way that they were sort of taking action against us which was basically uh, by the use of non lethal that means not not actually firing although casualties did occur by mm. uh, other thing that if, so if they were carrying sticks then we were also carrying sticks and sir uh, we were also we have after the first instance where they used the barbed wire clubs and all these things we have also now uh, uh, started using the such sticks with uh, spikes and all see we would still like to maintain that we are a 21st century army <laughs> to start going back to clubs and barbed wires is going back to prehistoric times i think it's a very regressive way of going we would still like to maintain that hmm. we you know in warfare also there are certain rules it is uh, not that you just uh, do whatever that you want to do right so we would still like to maintain a professional stance and therefore rather than resort to wielding clubs we rather open fire that is how our army fights correct by using the weapons at their disposal <clears throat> and not getting into fisticuffs is there any other parallel in the world where two armies or two neighbors have decided that we will use these clubs and monkey what is it called monkey web something it is so, called so that is precisely what yeah. i'm saying are we hooligans hmm. are we mafia hmm. or are we a professional army is that the level that pla has gone down to yeah. hooliganism hmm. and street fighting or are they a professional 21st century army on one side they try to show their technological prowess on the other side they coming with barbed wire clubs it is ridiculous so sir did you did you did you laugh at them when they were wielding mace and yes, those bhalas of, of course it is so <laughs> regressive there is no other yeah, word for it yeah but jain uh, sir uh, 15 june 2020 uh you get information or at least we got information that colonel santosh babu and his men died in action you might have got it a couple of hours before we did what went through your mind at that stage see uh, any casualty of course hurts you you're uh, as the chief 
not and not only as the chief as a battalion commander as a brigade commander every man is is your is your man is your son or daughter so any uh, such information or news that comes obviously you feel a little saddened by this kind but on the other hand you also feel that yes uh, what they have done is in the line of duty and uh, they have certainly given as good as they got and that is actually the fact whether the pla admits it or not or whether the chinese admit it or not they also gave it back to the enemy and of course in any such clash or battle or war casualties will happen on either side that's uh, part of the game if i can say so hmm. so but uh, there was also that situation where we where we had to literally force them to give back the bodies and we had to give our from our side we had to give what what happens there in that situation at that stage is there a negotiation which happens that return the bodies of our men who have died and then we have to give how does that happen there sir of course uh, you know once the clashes happened and uh, temperatures have cooled down both literally and in actual fact then the senior council of course prevails you know the clash is always in the heat of the moment and later on when the flag meetings were held between dgmos no between and on the ground on the, on the ground. ground on okay. the ground the flag meetings were held we of course facilitated the flag meeting through mm. our official channels mm. in the, including the diplomatic channels and uh, on ground the flag meetings were held at the place where the clashes occurred and that is where then the uh, our men came back were returned to us so we will uh, interrupt with uh, what the defense minister said so uh, his speech in lok sabha is just running and some of the pointers are that on december 9th in yangse area of tawang sector pla troops encroached upon and attempted to change the status quo the attempt by pla to encroachment was tackled by our troops in a determined manner our troops bravely stopped the pla from encroaching upon our territory and forced them to go back to their post uh, the defense minister said in lok sabha that the matter has also been taken up with china through diplomatic channels as you were mentioning jen sab that this happened earlier too um, raksha mantri then said that he would uh, assure the house that our forces are committed to guard our borders and ready to thwart any attempt that will be made to challenge it in the face of few soldiers on both sides suffered injuries raksha mantri said that he'd like to tell the house that none of our soldiers died or suffered any serious injury due to the timely intervention of indian military commanders pla soldiers have retreated to their own locations flag meeting uh is was held with the chinese counterpart and the rakshamantri said that the chinese side uh was refused all actions and told to maintain refused all actions and told to maintain peace at the border it's uh i don't maybe know maybe has has, has refused, refused. Okay. or maybe they're not accepting that they've done it okay maybe trying to imply that mm. right so jensa uh, this uh, what we have heard through sources is that uh, isn't that uh, i think ajit also will tell, say this that uh, it's happened uh, before before i mean earlier this year this is 2022 it's happened on a couple of occasions where the chinese side has tried to come in this was probably a larger incident which is <clears throat> sorry come to light could you tell us whether it is similar to what happened in uh, 2020 uh, 
similar in Yangtze? In Yangtze. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, in fact, Yangtze is one area where <coughs> the Chinese keep trying to hmm. uh, come over across the river into the Yangtze sector. And this is not only of 2020, they try to come every year. Hmm. And every year they make two, three such attempts to come and they are rebuffed every time. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, from their side also, they must be having some pressure from their senior commanders that how is it that you come back every time? Or kuch karo, press hmm. on kuch more. Dekha. Kuch karke dekhao. Kuch karke dekhao would mean that I mean, cross, either crossover. casualties or get more land. Is that, no, because least, it's, a, no. it's a country which is hungry for land all the time. Even though they're such a large country, they are they're greedy to capture, capture land. Oh, yes. yeah. so, so that is why their commanders would be pressing their people also that at least go up to our uh, stated claim line. But we do not allow them to come even up to there. Hmm. And they have to cross a river to come to our side and that is where we block them. Hmm. And uh, we are on a tactically advantageous position. So it's, it, it's well nigh impossible for them to come. But yet, year after year, they keep attempting the same thing and year after year, they suffer injuries and go back. Of course, in the bargain, we also suffer some injuries. But they have always been at the receiving end. Hmm. And they make two, three such attempts every year. And the last one is normally before the onset of winters. So, and before the snows come and then all such tactical actions would thereafter not be possible. So, we expect this every year. And we were very well prepared to thwart it. It used to I'm happen sure. in the western sector too, in Siachen. Till, uh, till an operation happened and they were evicted out and they learnt their lesson and said, Ab nahi, because we didn't move out from there. What, is it similar uh, in you know what happened in Siachen and what's happening in Galwan and what's happening in Yangtze area? I, I think uh, to an extent because of the stand we have taken and because we have now made it very clear that uh, this unilateral changes will not be tolerated by us. So by and by, I think it will dawn on them that there is no point in escalating the situation all the time. Hmm. And it would be better to move towards a permanent solution to this border problem rather than keep this friction alive. And as our foreign minister has said, as long as the border question is resolved, it cannot be business as usual. Right. So I think over a period of time, this realization will dawn on them that it is better to have a stable and peaceful border rather than continuing to have such small incidents every now and then, which is you know it becomes a setback to our overall relations. Hmm. So Do think you think it's uh, dawning? I mean, you've attended several meetings with them. Do you think that they are receptive? Uh, they are. It's an army which is receptive to change, or it's not. I would not uh, say the army receptive to change. It has to be the political Correct. establishment which has to be receptive to change and should realize that uh, if they really want peace and tranquility in the region, if they want China and India to mm -hmm. re-emerge as the you know geopolitical and the economic hub that we were in the 18th century. In the 18th century, it was China and India which contributed 80% of the world's GDP. So if we want to regain that position in the future, then it would be better if China and India are friends rather than having this competition and confrontation every now and then. Uh, sir, uh, I would like to uh, take you back to the Galwan issue. Uh, 
you said uh, the Chinese had put up tents and we opposed that vehemently. And uh, so uh, during Galwan, when we took action, those tents have been now pushed back. Yes. And uh, we uh, did it successfully. Uh, the team led by Colonel Santosh Babu and his men, they pushed back the Chinese from that position where they had, they had pitched their uh, tents. It, it was not so uh, clear cut as it seems now. So uh-huh. there was a period when they tried to push them back. They were still there. And then as a result of the talks which happened thereafter, 10-15 rounds of talks took place. And then in every round of talks, we agreed to disengage from uh, where we were. And as a result of that disengagement, now the status quo has been restored. Uh, in all the locations? Sir? In all the locations, yeah. So, uh, and can we say that uh, the uh, the status quo which the Chinese wanted to change unilaterally post-2020, from uh, May 2020, we have uh, gone back to the older positions uh, after the several mm-hmm. round of several talks rounds that of we, talks. which we that, have had. That's with. right. So, post the several rounds of talks, the status quo as of April 2020 has been restored. Okay. Jalsab, I'm going to pick a quote of yours. In an interview, you had said, uh, army people are the last people who want to go to war. It's always better to have the whole nation approach and have a good relationship with your neighbours, a stable relationship with all your neighbours, because if you have stable relations, the country prospers and should that should be the aim. That should be done at a political level, diplomatic level, but you need the army. If you want to ensure peace, be prepared for war. I'll take you back to that situation when you became chief and uh, when this thing happened, when this action happened. How do you prepare for war uh, when the other side has already attacked you? has already come. Were you prepared for war? Was, a, was the Indian army prepared to go to war with China? As a country, as a nation and as an army, we are always prepared for war. It is not that we are not prepared <coughs> at any point of time. Uh, appreciation of likely threats is a continuous process. And intelligence inputs are always there of who is mobilizing, how they are mobilizing. So the kind of mobilization which had happened uh, on the Chinese side was not indicative of a war. It was a mobilization for these small probing actions here and there. Oh, that's very significant what you're saying. No, it, for a country to go to war, hmm. it, there are many more indications which would be there at the diplomatic level, at the economic level. So, Such as, sir? You'll stock up on your oil reserves, you'll stock up on your food hmm. to cater for any disruptions to that supply lines. So, these, these kind of indications will be start coming from six months in advance, eight months in advance. Okay. Wars don't happen overnight. Right, sir. But today you are sitting quietly like this and at midnight today you are at war. It's not that way. See Russia and Ukraine. Hmm. The mobilization happened. People kept saying that war will be there, war will not be there. There were parlays going on, track two discussions were going on. But after... When everything failed, that is when Russia decided to attack. Hmm. It's not that 24th February, one fine day, they went off. Yeah. But, you know, we knew that something is happening. Hmm. Well but advance. on China, is there intel available? That's what it is. Oh, it's yes. Such a we should not uh, discount our uh, forces, our other agencies. We have very good intel. We know what is happening. Hmm. And in a era of you know technology with satellites and all, we very well know each and every move of this. And as I said... In the whole of nation approach, it is not the army alone. 
all the organs of the state our rnaw is doing a wonderful job we know exactly what is happening so let's not be under this delusion that one fine day we are going to get surprised and be at war hmm. we will get adequate notice we will get adequate notice to mobilize we will get adequate notice to go and occupy our defenses and be prepared in all respects you know this i can say that with utmost confidence to the entire nation that we will always be ready to face whatever is thrown at us So in 2020, uh, one one question, Ajit. Then you go. In 2020, there was a lot of uh, there were these propaganda uh, videos which came out from China. If you remember that, you know these trucks going with thousands of thousands of people being mobilized. Of course, there were uh, takedowns by the Indian side which said that these fake videos are, these earlier videos are. And then there were these that you know all our uh, all those trucks which were mo- moving, they had uh, mobile toilets. with them whereas our forces don't have it so there was you know like a lot of propaganda war which happens uh, during these kind of situations uh are, is india equipped to handle that kind of propaganda war which comes in for that actually uh, again i would say at the military level we are very much uh, capable of handling it because we know what is what mm. is what on ground we know we can see them we know what their physical standards are in fact at the height of the crisis in eastern ladakh the troops over in that forward line had to be relieved every 48 hours That's and hours are relieved after once you go you sit there you sit there. <laughs> so that that means, that means yeah, that, one that year means till next till, deployment till you next you go on leave or something so if you've gone up you will sit there for 3 4 months whatever is the thing that is right. the hardiness of our troops their troops had to be relieved every 48 hours 10 people would come up 10 people would go down that was their staying power okay. our staying power was much more as i said you know when our troops are very fine people they're resolute they're hardy they come from a very good you know background and stock they have that nationalistic fervor and they will do whatever is required did it get impacted uh, sir with uh, what happened with uh, uh santosh babu did did that did that shake the troops uh, morale no i don't think uh, you know we in fact the indian army specifically since we have been involved in active operations for a long time especially in jnk and in the northeast we have been suffering casualties so it is every casualty as i said hurts but the casualty we take it in our stride we know that while doing our job something like this is going to happen in jnk also when a id blast takes place you do lose 15 20 people at a time as happened in hmm. pulwama so we you know we are used i will not say we are inured to hmm. that would be wrong way of putting it but we know that casualties do occur and when casualties occur it only makes us stronger that we will take you know, badla retributive well, action yes, yes we will that's take what i revenge. wanted to ask yes we will yes. take revenge for it hmm. and and that is the only way that a unit regains its morale by taking that revenge right and the both and and, and, and so that that is the reason why you had uh, the uh, the people from santosh babu's unit uh, involved in the operations which we carried out in rechangla yes. rezangla this area Abs- absolutely because that is the only way you get your morale back You know, it's like when you horse riding. When you fall off a horse, you get back on immediately. Hmm. You, know, you don't go and hide somewhere else. So that is precisely the point. 
best way to get your morale back is to get involved in operation and do a good job Jail sahab is talking about uh, how their troops had to go back down after 48 hours remember ajit us time the wo bhi chal raha tha ki inke troops jo hain they are 6 feet tall chinese soldiers so, meat khane wale hain hum ghas khane wale hain do you remember that yeah. and, and sir uh, we wanted to ask you also on this uh, uh, we had discussed uh, i and ma'am had discussed now this galwan happened sir the whole world uh, people see like australia mongolia every country whosoever is chinese neighbor they don't fight with them the chinese create hawa and they come they threaten they say we have got this uh, mm. this missile that missile uh, do you think this fight in galwan the clash in galwan the uh, the way our troops gave them a bloody nose uh, did this demolish the image of 7 feet tall chinese soldiers in the minds of our troops as well as internationally i think not only of uh, the pla itself but i feel it diminished the stature of china as a country in the global eyes because after uh, this clash occurred and we showed that it is possible to stand up to china who tries to bully its smaller neighbors once we did that i think from canada to lithuania to europe to philippines everyone actually you know got that feeling that yes if you are fighting for what is correct if you have a principle stand <coughs> it is possible to take a stand even against china mm-hmm. and we don't have to always be cowed down by the might that they try to project i think the asean was also looking in wonderment at that stage that's quite right uh, yeah. you know as to how we react because of uh, chinese aggression in the south china sea in you know all that that, that was happening so uh, i think there was a lot of focus on the indian army at that stage indian army and india as a country we showed india mm. as a country showed to the world yeah. that it is possible to take on that neighborhood bully as is the case everywhere whether it is a school bully or a neighborhood bully you have to stand up to him sometime or the other right. we showed it can be done but so you feel uh, this happened but it has happened a bit late uh, we have given them a long rope we allowed them to for many years we allowed them to yes, encroach uh, inch by inch they yes it maybe uh, that happened over a period of time some things always come to a head sometime or the other so it came to a head at that stage in in 2020 Uh, Jain Sir, in uh, in your first press conference, I'm again quoting. Uh, you had written that the army is rebalancing its deployment and strategy along the western, northern, and northeastern borders to deal with any kind of threat, be it from Pakistan or China. Earlier, the focus was on the western front. We now feel that both the western and the northern fronts are equally important, and that's why we are rebalancing. Quite prophetic, I would say that when you talked about rebalancing, because for a long time one had kept hearing about a two-front war, two-front war, and that actually almost happened in 2020. Uh, so, to take from what uh, Ajit was saying, was it something that we did too late? Should it have been done earlier? No, see, uh, these analysis of likely threats and how they are going to manifest is once again a you know continuous process it's hmm. not that you suddenly one day do that based on various inputs that we keep getting based on new acquisitions which are made by the enemy we also get inputs on new strategies that he is adopting 
So based on all such things, we keep uh, appreciating the likely threats. And against those threats, what remedial measures or countermeasures we should take. Hmm. And it is in that light that we felt that the threat from our northern borders is increasing vis-a-vis -vis that of our western borders and therefore we need to rebalance some forces. We have always had uh, plans in place where some troops could go from the western front to the eastern front or vice versa. It is a question of where they should be initially deployed. Should they be initially deployed more to the west and go to the east? By east I mean east and north hmm. as a contingency or they should be against the northern adversary first and go to the west as a contingency. Mm -hmm. So it is that is what is the rebalancing. That rather than being more west oriented, they become now more north oriented. So it, it, that's but that does not mean that they cannot come back to the west. Yeah, because that's a continuous threat. Continuous right? threat. It's and not. So we it's keep, not keep evaluating. But suppose tomorrow something changes on the western front, we might revert to how, what it was earlier. But you can also be sure that now, see, there's also this thing that we never talk about China as Dushman Mulk. But it has come to a situation where if this continuous uh, engagement uh, with weapons, this continuous injuries which are happening, it is a Dushman Mulk. So if you have Dushman on both northern and uh, northern, western, eastern fronts, they can collaborate and it can become a single front war, like maybe geographically different, but actually one Dushman if they are collaborating like this. So, in the analysis of threat, we will always have to prioritize. And I think that kind of prioritization we do everywhere. Mm. In our uh, personal lives also we prioritize. So, similarly, we have to prioritize which is the more important threat or which mm. is the more dangerous one. And, and, and of course, focus more on that and less on the other. And now, now uh, nobody has any doubts that China is the enemy number one. I think that's uh, been... The case, not now, but for many years, I think our former defense minister had also said that. George Fernandez. George Fernandez, uh, more than two decades ago, that China is the enemy. So, there's nothing new. It is just that we have become more uh, cognizant of that fact and we are more open to talking about it rather than keeping it in the shadows and not mentioning it. Jens, hmm. uh, uh, right now, even as... Uh, uh, Raksha Mantri speaking in uh, Parliament. Before that, he was briefed by the service chiefs. Um, tell us, uh, this is, I'm talking about uh, December 9th attack, uh, which has happened, and he was briefed by the uh, service chiefs. And we've also heard that they've come with, they had come with drones, um, not just clubs, but they had come with drones. To shoot the entire... To, yeah, to film the entire thing. Maybe not weaponized drones, but maybe they these drones were there to see forward how many troops we have or I don't know. I mean, it could be cameras operated from those drones. You would have briefed uh, similarly the Raksha Mantri. Uh, what happens in these kind of briefings? Uh, give us a sense of how this takes place, like when, when you inform the civilian leadership. No, obviously, uh, we have to give a very fair and clear picture of, of what has happened and we try not to hide any facts mm. and if uh, something has happened, like in Galwan, we suffered casualties, we were straight away, we said, yes, we have suffered the casualties. We did not try to hide it like the Chinese have done 
and they refused to declare. Now they've declared four. Now they agreed to a fifth one, but the numbers are much higher. Yes. So we give a very clear picture. We give an assessment of what has happened, and an assessment of what is likely to happen in the future. Mm. The next, and in the future, I mean, in the short term and in the long term, and based on that assessment, what we need to do. So that is how it generally transpires, and each service gives their own view on. Right, on on that incident, of course, in an incident like Yangtze, which is more uh, land-based and very very localized, there probably would not be so much inputs from, say, the navy. Hmm. But obviously, their inputs will also be taken into consideration. Okay, then, and sir, you were talking about assessment. Uh, uh, so, in your assessment, when you gave it to the government uh, post Galwan. What was the assessment of Chinese casualties by the Indian Army, sir? Well, uh, I've time and again said that I will not like to get into a numbers game. So, the number of casualties is not important. What is important is the fact that they suffered casualties. Hmm. Because all along, over the last two decades, not only with India, but with Bhutan, in, with Nepal, they are also encroaching. In the South China Sea, they have been encroaching. They have or, a free pass, mostly. Free pass. And never has anybody challenged them. And they never ever suffered casualties. For them, it was a very low cost, no cost option. Without doing anything and without suffering any, any casualties, they were gaining whatever you know, the aims were being achieved. This is the first time that they got the jhatka. And that is what has forced them to reassess this way of doing things. So that is what is important. The numbers are not important, whether it is one or forty. So, uh, sir, it uh, doesn't matter. And it's a jhatka which has happened without an international coalition or anything against them it's by a single, 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 mulk. single, mulk. How do you feel? You were the army chief. How do you feel when some uh, Bollywood actors try to say hi from Galwan? How how do you react to them? That sir? no, I think uh, we should uh, just brush it off and not take too much, uh, not give it. You know, more more you uh, comment or give credence to it, the more it remains in the limelight. I have always been of the view that such uh, pe people are free to talk and comment and all. All these comments, the more you ignore them, the sooner they die a natural death rather than reacting. You react, it remains in the limelight. Uh, sir, just let it pass. That is one way of looking at it, sir. Yes. But there is also narrative building that happens. And I will go into the Balakot incident. I mean, uh, Balakot by and large was probably an Air Force operation. So, But still, I mean, you, you would be aware that what had happened was that, you know, we had struck. But Pakistan somehow got the lead over us as far as the narrative is concerned. They took troops, uh, they, sorry, they took diplomats and they took people around and they said, Kawe mare hai, ye kia hai. you know, mm. they, that there was nothing. nothing, nothing yes. We didn't have pictures, we didn't have images. And then the narrative was that hum haar gaye hai. And then people in our own country started believing that narrative, right? Because then it's not just ordinary civilians who were listening in or looking at the social media. There were people from reporters and all who were uh, culling stories from that, uh, from that. So sometimes ignoring doesn't work, right? No, in, in this case, it was just one person, one individual. So mm. that's a different matter. But on the larger scale, it is also in, important to win the information war. Right. 
and that has become very important in these times of you know interconnectivity and social media it is not enough to win the war on the ground mm. as you mentioned you have to win the perception war also perception also and for that uh, i think there's a whole whole new ball game and uh, which has to be done at a much higher and at, at a national level it is not something which will be done at the ground level that uh, a battalion commander is saying something mm-hmm. so it will have to be pieced together and that narrative built and aired to show that we have actually won the war on ground so both both these yeah. things have become very important now and hum sir hum pis jate hain as journalists let me tell you because uh, you know decades of ex- of this experience which ajit and i both together if we would have is the same thing that you we get information from and not just this incident but any other incident also you get the information and then the forge wants to run with it the civilian administration doesn't want to run for it and i am talking about years yes, ago also yes. okay now the american president is coming so even if we would have won something on the ground don't report on it don't say it or we would have lost on the ground maybe we've lost a few men mm. on a in a in a terror incident our forge is lost but don't run with it because you have a visit or you have an international event which is happening which india is hosting or whatever to isko chup karo or like in the uh, recent past sir that don't report on this matter because we have the eighth round of talks happening don't report on this matter because ninth round of talks yeah. is happening so you know so, in when you're doing this uh, sai war it has to be coordinated at the highest level hmm. because only at the highest level do you know all the other ramifications because a statement made at a lower level should not boomerang on you or rebound with us say, say a different country or a different you know ally hmm. so therefore it has to be coordinated at a higher level and perhaps then uh, we have to accept that they know more than what we do and therefore the decision is the correct one you mean they in the sense of political establishment or or the civilian uh, uh, whatever yes the not mm. not the, uh, the, the bureaucracy i won't, I won't the say the political establishment the government of the day mm. it is a government we we are we are responsible to parliament right not to a particular party or the, and we are responsible parliament parliament decides mm. and so that is the that is the government of the day so okay. government of the day are more seized you know they are getting inputs from so many places they are getting inputs from so many missions abroad they getting inputs from the rnaw they know what is maybe there is some uh, trade deal which is being struck hmm. and you know a statement may jeopardize that deal so there are so many facets which you and me may not be aware of okay because after all we are bound in our own domains right there is somebody who knows all a larger picture larger picture so right we have to accept that make that they know what is best for the country right you know when i'm going to go back to balakot because uh, you know uh, one viewers which i had told you was that when you the narrative uh, pakistan got uh, ahead of us in that respect and uh, there was this thing that have we probably not struck a target which was significant or you know what has happened uh, there was one view which i was told that uh, at that time maybe it was prudent not to because um, you're dealing with a country which has uh, which is a rogue nation and they have nuclear weapons and they could they could just you know escalate the whole situation so maybe it was 
significant to hit the enemy but not provoke the enemy by encouraging a next action uh, from them could that be true no we hit them and they did react hmm. they did come the next day and that is when uh, that we lost one aircraft also yes. and uh, when commander abhinandan was also yes. shot down so it it's not that our action did not uh, provoke a reaction but uh, once again we have to see the larger picture the larger picture is that we have demonstrated our will to strike hmm. again whether we struck any the number of casualties the number of terrorists who were killed is not important hmm. the fact is that we have said that if you do something to us we will do something to you and that will be proportionate or even more than what more. you have done to us exactly that is the message that is gone across and which is the important message yeah the disproportionate is also possible also possible so yeah that is the message as i say we let's not get into the number numbers. game numbers that is not the larger picture and the larger message that has gone that is messaging strategic signaling that you know don't don't try these stunts because mm. you will suffer more than we do so um i'm going to get to uh, pakistan now when i said that we you know took uh, counter measures this is part of those counter measures and uh, as i was saying that you know it's always the chinese have been coming and mm. probing here and there mm. and we have always been reactive mm. this is the first time that we showed them that we can also do the same thing proactive to them proactive measures proactive yeah. measures and we can put them on the back foot mm. and again that you know they were taken by surprise now everybody asks us that you were taken by surprise were they not taken by surprise and they how were, they were taken by surprise in spite of being face to face that means we were that much better that under their nose we could do that and take an offensive action and go and sit on places rezangla rechinla where we fought such bloody battles in 1962 yeah we were back there that humiliation of 1962 so sort of, in know, rezangla we, yes and we were right sitting there and looking down on their garrison at moldo hmm. and they were really shaken up they never expected they were always thought we were, we were a defensive force they never thought we could can go on the offensive also and that is what has now prompted all that infrastructure development that they're doing now they are scared of us that we will come into their territory but we have taken right in the 60s we have taken offensive action 69 mm-hmm. was it no that was the again at the border at, the, at border. the border at the border yeah. but this now, was the first for time. the first time they are thinking mm. and rightly so that they should be worried that we will go in and mm. not that only they will come or it will battle or only be at the border retrospective can offensive. you can you tell us sir what actually happened what what all did we do in that uh, that is the uh, southern bank of pengong uh, no, it is little more than the southern bank see sir. they had initially come on the northern bank sir then we also appreciated that they will try and come on the heights of the southern bank which they did 
and then it was a race between the two of us that who will get to those heights faster so at some places we reached first some places they reached first so it was sort of 50-50 but having appreciated that we said come let us go further south of the spangur gap and take these kailash ranges and these two passes of rachinla and rizangla which they did not expect they thought we will keep it localized to the north and south bank but then we when we went further south and as i said they did not expect that we will take this kind of a offensive action and sir this rachinla rizangla uh, uh, why were they not occupied at that moment uh, are they on our side of lsc no, or the they... lsc runs along these passes okay and therefore we are, both sides do not occupy them okay by mutual that agreement that you will re- remain on your side and we will remain on our side and lsc itself is not manned unlike and, and unlike we occupied the, these uh, unlike the lsc with pakistan where we sit eyeball to eyeball and we occupied both we, these passes we occupied both these is there any rethink to that agreement uh, jansa no not as of now i think uh, it is to us in good stead these uh, incidents which have happened as i mentioned will i think uh, reinforce the point that a stable border is you know conducive to peace and peace obviously leads to you know, growth and development hmm. so by and by i think uh, there will be a realization that a stable border and or the resolving this border question is to our mutual benefit right um for our listeners and viewers we are running this episode on the week of vijay divas uh those who might not be in india you may not be aware of the significance of the day 16th december 1971 is observed as vijay divas uh the day india helped in the liberation of bangladesh a decisive war uh when pakistani troops surrendered to the indian army um jen sir i want to ask you about that 1971 uh surrender there's this uh, when you were chief uh, when we visited you uh, ajit is always mentions that that there's that painting uh, behind you know on that wall where you used to meet right uh, ajit where you used all to meet all the guests. all the foreign chiefs including the saudis bangladeshis all the chiefs who came to meet uh, jan narwane in in that office uh, in that lounge chief's lounge uh the picture would come with the surrender uh, ceremony in the backdrop and uh, every time the pakistanis would react very <laughs> that that painting behind you how significant was that to you sir as as you know somebody who joined as a young man uh, how significant is vijay divas no it is uh, definitely the uh, finest uh, moment in the annals of history not only of uh, ours but never before as any army uh, got such a resounding victory in such a small space of time so it was our uh, as i said in our history of the indian army and of the country it is a it is a finest moment and that picture captures it all when the pakistan army general niazi surrendered to jagjit singh arora and uh, you didn't mention you know that little propaganda and iw has to be done hmm. so that is a way of doing it hmm. having that photo in the background hmm. so all the time we are telling everyone see this is what we are hmm. this is what we can do without yeah. saying anything i yeah. uh, said uh, did any of the visiting chiefs ask you that what is this 
who are these gentlemen no it's we used to tell them who they are <laughs> <laughs> okay it's not clean that in the chief's lounge but that uh, similar painting is there in uh, the army battle on his mess yeah and when we host visiting delegations mm. we exp- and, and not only this uh, painting the paintings of other battles are also there and we take them al- al- around and explain every battle and each right. battle the pakistanis have been uh, given a, a bloody nose so, so uh, no pa- the pakistan uh, army chief he has said that the 1971 defeat that you mentioned that it was a political defeat and not a military uh, defeat that the surrender was not uh, something which happened because of the army it was the the politicians who decided it what do you have to say to that well uh, It, you cannot say that it is not a military defeat. After all, ninety-three thousand prisoners of war mm. were were there, and that is the magnitude of the surrender, which did not, which has not happened since World War Two, mm. when the Germans st- surrendered at uh, Stalingrad. And that is the magnitude. So you can cannot wish away history or try to rewrite it because facts and figures are well known for so many years. The records are there. We have the names of all ninety-three thousand people who were with us. So how can you say that they did not surrender? They don't so, believe in the names, Jain uh, Sahab. You know that even in Kargil they didn't believe, and it took them a long time to accept. You know that uh, that they didn't even take back the bodies, and they didn't accept that their people that. had died. What do you? Have, how do you? That's a mercenary army on the other side. What are the? What is the difference between the two armies? Between the Chinese army, you know both now. <laughs> so tell us the difference. No, I think that you know we should not discount uh, any opposition. Hmm. If you underestimate your opposition or you know, try to un, uh, play them down, then you're likely to get surprised. So we should always look at them as a professional army. and at the unit level nobody likes to lose hmm. so at the unit level they will also try their best to win so we should not uh, you know go in with overconfidence that we are you know refrain for anything like that but the whole team has to get welded together and as the army you have to know that you have the backing of your country you have the backing of your government the will of the people and so on i think that is where we are at a great advantage i keep saying whole of nation approach whole of nation approach that is precisely the point we have as a nation the political establishment all the other ministries and the bureaucrats the military establishment our population our population which has so much uh, regard and appreciation for our armed forces that is our greatest strength hmm. they always rise up to the occasion whenever the need demand and they it is their love and affection which keeps us going right that when we are at the border we know that our you know citizens are with us and that is what makes us strong so i think i don't know how true that is on the other okay. side so i can only speak yeah. for myself so you you say that they are not a refrav i agree that they are not a refrav force of course not they've kept us on the run in kashmir for so many years uh they are not a refrav but it's the only army in the world which has like the, that defy pakistan they have terrorists as their front line of defense 
How See, do you deal with that? That is a strategy. How do you respect an army which which keeps a a terror front right. in going? No, that is a strategy that they have adopted, and we have made it very clear that terrorism in all its forms is unacceptable to us, and that has been our stand for many years in so many places, including global fora in the UN. That there is nothing like a good terrorist and a bad terrorist. and i think our foreign minister very recently also said the same thing hmm. so we have always been against terror and terrorism but if a if a nation chooses to adopt that path then it is uh, their funeral because those terrorists will come back to bite them only as is happening now so they keep laughing about uh, our army in their social media in their television networks and all they we used our army used to be a, a something that they would laugh about that ye kitne gareeb hain inko ek flat tak nahi milta retirement ke baad gaziabad mein kahin pe ek flat milta hai they are now you know grappling with the thing that the people that they used to eulogize they they used to say oh my wonderful like you know they had these big mansions uh when they uh, when they retired now they are talking about the corruption in the pakistan army that they're saying ye pakistan nahi plotistan hai that is what they say that that division now they turn around and say that look at that army where one chief goes and the other one comes and it is a very uh, you know polite and modest, modest way element. that it happens your your and general pandey's handshake uh, was being shown on their television yeah. they were saying uh, their uh, journalists were saying ki general narvane ke asase to bahut kam hai aur hamara hamara chief 200 arab ka aadmi hai so like when you see all those things sir uh, how do you feel sir no see we have done our job to the best of our ability we did it because we are proud of what we were doing we did not do it, do it for a personal fame or fortune and at the end of the day if uh, if i have the respect of all of y'all and of the country what more can you ask for and after all that 200 million you can't take it up with you so what will you do with it right sir but when you hang up your boots what do you feel at that stage No, I, I think it was just a job well done. If I can, I give myself a pat on the back. That, uh, but you know, this question does get asked often. That uh, how did you feel and things like that. But we know that we have to retire. This the day you join, you know you, the day you yeah, leave. The day I became chief, I knew that thirtieth April is my last day. So there's not a surprise or anything, and any uh, and you you know mentally prepared for that. Right. So he used to say a tie 28th chief will retire after 28, 28 months. months so i knew precisely how much time i have in the chair and i think that also uh, motivates you to achieve more in that limited time that you have right so you know you know that the clock is ticking right from the word go hmm. and you try to do your best hmm. uh jens uh, there's a war currently on uh there's the ukraine conflict which is on what are the military lessons that uh, we can learn from that uh, war for example uh, you know there's this whole thing that uh, tank battles it's probably a thing of the past now uh, i'm feeling odd even saying that because this is the month of the longewala uh, anniversary okay. but still i need to say that is it something of the past are these battlefields changing now will there be any lessons to be learned from this ongoing conflict and some of them in fact i had even 
expounded before i retired uh, the first and foremost before we get down to the lower level is that wars will happen okay and there is a certain school of thought that wars are of the past and you know big nations will not fight or nuclear countries will not fight and so on and so forth and therefore a diminishing sort of importance to defense preparedness and reducing budgets that has been proven totally wrong and this has to be said uh, jansa even in 62 if you remember, remember yes so then also then also that you the know the prime war, minister had yes, thought that, that wars will not happen wars and, and therefore the statement which i made that to ensure the peace be prepared for war that is the context of that statement that if you have to ensure peace you have to prepare for war and preparation mm. for war is a very long drawn and continuous process mm. it takes decades to be always prepared mm. a new equipment which has to be inducted for example the procurement process its manufacture its induction into the armed forces you're getting to you know deploy it and you know utilize it where it's not doesn't happen overnight so it is a continuous process to be prepared for war so that is the first and foremost lesson that wars will happen and you have to be prepared for it and if you don't invest in your defense capabilities then you'll have to pay a very big price later on hmm. like right? the europeans are now spending spending they are spending and not only that you see ukraine they ignored their defense services hmm. now the cost that they will spend on reconstructing their country Will yeah. be hundred times more than what they would have had they actually defense of the nation spent adequately on the defense of the nation to start with. Right. So that is, I think, the much larger picture. But coming down to the question that you had asked, you know, the character of war. There are two aspects. There is a nature of war and character of war. Hmm. And the nature of war is obviously death and destruction, you know, and achieving that aim. but the character of war how you go about hmm. doing that hmm. changes from time to time whether okay. it was horse hmm. cavalry whether it was armor whether it is hmm. machine gun whether it is air power the method the character keeps changing and evolving and the side which evolves better and faster will win hmm. so now in the context of ukraine with uh, the large armor battles will still be relevant in the era where there is a proliferation of drones and armed drones with uh, cameras which can pick up each and every yeah each and every person let alone a tank and individual can also be targeted hmm. how will the character of war change how will your tactics hmm. change and how will you deal with this new threat so that is an again an ongoing process which we will keep having to and there will always be you know in the last century the battle was the tank versus the anti tank weapon hmm in this century it will be drone versus counter drone i see that will be the technological race hmm. somebody will develop a drone you will develop a counter it but you can't get rid of the tanks right because that also could happen to to keep territory a drone can't keep territory yes, right but the tank will also have to evolve evolve okay and the tactics of employment of the armor will also have to be evolved hmm. perhaps the days of this mass employment of armor may not be there okay huh. yeah, that is the traditional way that you know you will uh, uh, entire armor division 
एडवांसेस इन वन गो तो हंड्रेड टैंक्स विजिबल हाँ हंड्रेड टैंक्स आर विजिबल विथ हंड्रेड ड्रोन दिन ऑब्वियसली यू विल सफर मोर कैजल सो मे बी द मेथडोलॉजी ऑफ एम्प्लॉयमेंट विल ऑल्सो अंडर गो अ चेंज एंड दैट इज वेर नो आर टैक्टिक्स एंड स्ट्रेटेजिस विल हैव टू पॉन्डर ऑन एंड एनालाइज ईच ऑफ दीज बैटल्स एंड सी हाउ वी नीड टू अंडरटेक दिस even our weapon system uh jensa because many are saying that our weapon systems are soviet sourced so uh now we are seeing what's happening in the conflict uh, i'm not taking sides or i'm not making a comment yeah. on that and i don't expect you also to make a comment on it but still i think uh, there is a there is a thinking that uh, our, our sourcing needs to be maybe more varied and our training will have to change Uh, uh, electronics, everything is Soviet-sourced or Russian-sourced. What happens then? No, the that was a compulsion of the past. That mm. you know, we were a young country. We mm. did not have our own strong industrial base, so we had to import weapons. Mm. And the way the you know the nations were aligned at that point of time. Mm. most of the equipment was coming from russia yeah i will not say that we need to diversify our sources and mm-hmm. the uh, make in india initiative atmanirbhar bharat initiative is a very good thing that has been done mm-hmm. so that we start making our own weapons and equipment yeah and we reduce our dependence on imports to the extent possible why why i say to the extent possible Because no country makes hundred percent of the things themselves. Right. Even if Russia is making a helicopter, hundred percent of the helicopters the is not in Russia. Yeah. Some is thirty, forty percent components of that also comes from abroad. So right. Nothing is ever hundred percent your own. But this supply chain issues which have happened after COVID, COVID that has that right. has actually been a catalyst. Yeah. For this Atmanirbhar. So Atmanirbhar, because we realize that we cannot be dependent on external supply chains. Yeah, we can have a portion of it external, hmm. but the bulk of it should be within our country. And if that happens, then most of our equipment will be of Indian origin. Right. And as far as the army is concerned, as it is, most of our things we are making ourselves. Hmm. Even our tanks, we are making the BMPs. We are making the K9 Vajra, the self-propelled gun. We are making. so most of the it's more for the air force and the navy mm. especially for the air force where the main thing the aircraft was coming from abroad but now that is also going to undergo a change why one point was uh, left from the china episode <laughs> ajit is going to labor yeah. on the china thing <laughs> and i want to also come to the agniveer and the that scheme sir you are the uh, i guess you are the uh, first and only chief who stepped on the rechendla rezangla uh, pass in that area so uh, what is the status there sir and when uh, you uh, you saying uh, that we also decided to go offensive on the offensive when you discuss this strategy with the top political leadership so because this was a big change and uh, there was also a change that you allowed the troops to use firearms in case of provocation by the chinese so how how was the political reaction to this suggestion by you and how how did it happen how did you uh, go ahead with it sir see uh, this situation was 
continuously on and unfolding and we were having regular meetings on this uh, subject including what all actions we can take countermeasures we can take so it's not that it suddenly happened overnight that we decide to do something and we were prepared and we knew that if we do something then as in balakot we have to be prepared for the reaction mm. to that and therefore it was a very deliberate process and that is why we waited till august it is not we could have gone up the next day also but we waited so that we were prepared all our preparations were in place to cater for any possible escalation and of course if the troops are at rajangla and rachingla then it is my duty to go and visit them mm-hmm. and they look forward to that and then that is what i said that you know our troops are very hardy but you have to go and meet them on the spot see how they are yeah. and when they see the chief coming where they are and they know that their officers with us the you know, down the chain when they know that you are willing to be there where they are willing to share in their dangers are cognizant of the hmm. terrain and the weather conditions that and they the are deployed in living there. condition then they are that much more strengthened okay they don't think that you are you know commanding from a air conditioned office in delhi hmm. they know that you are willing to come in take the risk and share the risk with them right so and, that and that is what boosts their morale and sir like in this area like uh, post uh, 2020 sir uh, i've been very fortunate uh, uh, you had a big role to play in it to visit the area multiple times sir uh, like uh, uh, i was uh, people used to taunt me that ladakh is your second home i have seen lot of uh, hab- uh, habitat coming mm-hmm. up roads coming up and uh, people say uh, like the work of next 10 years has been done in yes. 12 months so uh, what all did you do there sir no we were always uh, in the process of improving our infrastructure in all the border areas not only in ladakh but even mm-hmm. in arunachal so it's a continuous process of course this was a catalyst and what would have been a five year plan was done in one year So it, but it's First not time ever. but it's not that it was not there on the cards we we knew yeah. that a road has to come and uh, the strategic reasons why you need infrastructure to keep a border safe so could you just explain that to us also no see if you need to keep a border safe you have to deploy troops on or near the border if you have to deploy troops they have to be housed so you need barracks and shelters but you cannot build a shelter unless you have a road going there or you cannot maintain them unless there's a road going there so first you'll have to make a road then you have to put the infrastructure in place then you have to garrison house the men there then the road has to be good enough so that you can maintain Supplies them all, all the year round hmm. that is also that, important that in, is those in, in those heights in those heights so that is where this complete gamut of infrastructure development Air comes strips into uh, also play Air a role strips suppose yeah. it's a uh, place which is going to be cut off in winter then you should be able to land your aircraft there or at least resupply them by air which is happening in many places even now in the hmm. eastern sector so that is how infrastructure development is very important hmm. and also equipment which we, which can 
you know which is sustainable in those can, heights yes. so the equipment for example the k9 vajra the self propelled gun was actually meant for deserts hmm. it was not meant for high altitude but we said well, let's try it out so we sent a few of those guns there and they worked out very well even the firing but then we realized that to make them all weather capability including when winters certain number of cold weather modifications would have to be done so then we got in touch with the manufacturers lnt they sent their engineers there they saw what is required and now we have deployed mm-hmm. guns which were meant and bought for, for deserts desert warfare in desert warfare for 40 degrees plus hmm. temperature are now, now deployed minus. in 40 minus hmm. so, so yeah those modifications kind of, yeah. yeah so that's why it needs to be dynamic, dynamic as the situation develops uh just a, a little bit of your personal life your your uh, your son of uh, an air force person why did you join the forces what is it that motivated you why uh, why the army and what role did your father play in choosing that actually you know although my father was in the army uh, air force he was originally an army cadet i see he was in the ima but broke his knee while playing football hmm. and then he was withdrawn on medical grounds and then he finished his graduation and joined the air force but in heart of hearts he always wanted me to go to army only okay so in a way he was happy and uh, I would have liked to join the Air Force though, hmm. since my father was in Air Force. But because of my eyesight, yeah. Air Force was out. Hmm. So I, by default, landed <laughs> up in the army. <laughs> I wonder whether the boss knows this, <laughs> right? So, but of course, he was very happy that I joined the army. And of course, you don't know when you join that you're going to rise to what level. Hmm. But definitely, he's. Uh, very proud of me general rawat passed away there was such a outpouring of grief uh because he was such a popular man could you tell me a little bit about your interaction with general rawat yes that uh, of course was a very big shock to us uh, yeah. especially since we had on 7th itself uh, been together mm. for the curtain raiser for the panics exercise which was to start in mm. pune shortly thereafter and that is the last time i met him my last time also time. so 7th in fact we did that thing along with the honorable rrm hmm. and uh, he went on 8th to wellington i went to mau and of course yeah uh, that's where i got the news of uh, hmm. crash having occurred so it was quite a big shock to hmm. me and uh, in the 3 years preceding to that we had been really very close yeah though i must also say that uh, till he came to eastern command as the mggs in uh, 12 or 13 hmm. i had never met him before okay <laughs> ah. <laughs> army is so big that somehow a hmm. path had never crossed hmm. but after he came to eastern command as the major general general staff at that time hmm. i was also a major general in nagaland hmm. then he came as our core commander in 3 core then of course our interaction was much more than as chief and vice chief hmm. and then of course as chief and cds cds then we were actually more or less together yes after that and especially when he was the core commander and i was uh, under him we used to have a lot of heart to heart talks and he used to tell me his at that time 
neither did he think he'll become chief <laughs> neither did i ever think that i'll be taking over from him, from him. No, but we used to just talk about what is good and bad for the army and how you know things can be done in a better manner and in a lot of these things are you know views were mm. quite uh, common and and it just uh, yeah you know fate and destiny that he became chief and he could implement those points and uh, once he went on to become the cds and i became chief i could follow up on those points because okay. we were of the same mind mm. and we used to discuss that sitting in dimapur mm. So But I'd, those who saw you pe- from the outside and him, he seemed a very flamboyant kind of a uh, you know a chief, and you were one of those quiet, ma- quiet, mild mannered persons who wouldn't talk much. But apparently, you 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 had a good uh, yes. So that's why equation. I said that uh, our methods might have been different, hmm. but what we wanted to do was almost the same. Right, sir. Yeah. There were very different ways of doing the same thing, but our views hmm. uh, generally. you know gelled on a number of things including you know the redeployment rebalancing you know not from you know strategic level to uh, hr issues mm-hmm. we were of, of the same view on i would say 90% of the things okay of course there always will be differences i i'm coming to the uh, agnivir uh, scheme uh you would have gone through the entire thing uh, there's also this talk that you know uh, the himachal elections which have just concluded uh, there are many who feel that maybe uh, the bjp lost because uh, people in himachal pradesh did not uh, did not agree with the scheme they felt that it was not right char saal ke baad hamare ladke wapas aa jayenge because you know you they you know Uh, lacks of uh, uh, youth you can see when you're uh, driving you can see hundreds of thousands of people exercising wanting to get into yeah. the forge there's that whole thing that himachal pradesh has and they don't la- understand the concept that char saal baad khatam ho jayega that they the youth will come back home uh, of course i don't want you to talk about the politics of it but just uh, explain to us that how where did that communication fail because at that time you also spoke about it quite a lot you try to convince people that that's not the case but there's this still that little confusion in the minds of people you see uh, like i will not like to comment on the outcome of the elections, elections or sure. what to, yes. what could have or could not yeah, have yeah but it's just come up all over that, again uh, that's why ha huh? so that's not a thing but as far as hr policies are concerned hr policies always undergo changes hmm. now in the mid 70s the color service used to be only 7 years with a 7 year reserve liability and there was nothing like pension hmm. not no not many people know that but that was changed hmm. it was changed to 15 years to make it pensionable hmm. with a 2 year reserve liability so if you can increase it you can decrease it no hr policies will also be dynamic hmm. so to say that you can't change a hr policy is not correct now we are trying out this scheme we'll give it a chance how do you know it will not work when the age was increased or the color service was increased from 7 to 15 years there was a un cry that oh we'll be a old army how can you have such you know we need a youngsters in the army exactly opposite argument was given at that point of time now when you're trying for a young army every year is saying why mm. <laughs> so these things are always you know from time to time 
we must give it a chance it may make may be a very good thing it may have you know and and no policy will be foolproof whenever you try something there bound to be some niggles teething troubles and that will be tinkered there, with there will be tinkered with that will hmm. be those changes will be brought into hmm. but the first four years i don't anticipate there being any requirement of change after that when the first batch of people start coming out then we'll know exactly what more needs to be done hmm. and as and when requirement of change is there i'm sure uh, whoever is in the chair at that point of time the service chiefs will uh, approach the raksha mantri and the government that this is good this is not good this needs to be strengthened here we need changes and those changes will keep happening is the training period the short training period something that you think is all right because you've gone through a rigorous training uh, a module uh, is that short training enough for again there are you know technical arms and non technical arms so mm. definitely for technical arms little bit more training will be required mm. but when i have been speaking to foreign service chiefs during my visits abroad and when they have also come almost all of them have a training period between 6 and 8 months hmm. so it is not that it's going to be a very short training they have also the same thing and you keep learning on the job it's not that you train and that's it hmm. after when you join your units you keep training there also so training is a continuous process process okay because uh, there some people have raised the question that uh, the agnivirs who are going to join the service are they just cannon fodder uh especially you know with regard to china are they just going to be sent to china and as cannon fodder not china sent to the no. chinese border to the lsc no it's not uh, not that and in fact uh, you know we were talking about the 71 war uh, prior to the 71 war uh, whoever was under training was sent to the unit hmm. irrespective of how much training he had done somebody had done 3 months training somebody had done 6 months training officers were commissioned from the ima in october yeah. itself short yeah emergency in, services no no the normal the regular courses okay. were also cut down cut short. okay everyone was just packed off to the units with whatever training they had hmm. and within 2 months they were a cohesive unit hmm. they totally integrated and within 3 months 4 months they delivered a victory they were, they were in battle and delivered a victory so why are people saying that these people will not be cohesive part of our units will In the units years? accept them sir because they of would course. have gone through a more rigorous training and these are blokes who've just done a few months no, will they will oh, they be no. you know the impacking order will they come lower how but does that work every year doesn't a unit get new recruits hmm. every year a unit gets new people from the training center 10 15 of them this year also they will get 10 15 only out of those people some will stay and some will go out hmm. every year every unit is getting new people at bottom of the ladder right and in one unit it will be four five eight people eight people out of 800 is no big deal they will get assimilated after two days you don't even know who's who you know when we hmm. we had a time when crpf officers used to come for two years attachment to the indian army and when they used to come they used to wear the badges of rank and all of that unit hmm. and after a month or so you didn't know who's who hmm. 
they're not lesser the, people they're not lesser or the, that he is that crpf chap on attachment and he is the regular fellow and he is to deliver as good as anyone else right he never thought i'm here only for 2 years mm. or we did not think ye to 2 saal ke liye hai to isko you know mm-hmm. side mein rakho side mein rakho yeah. it's all up to you how you make use of the resource at your disposal and this is uh, i don't think it's going That's to be a major that's the culture of the forge okay. it's not there they will be very well assimilated right and uh, there will be no impact on the efficiency of a unit sir aapne jab aap when you took over as army chief aapne aake sabse pehle i was the i was the first person standing in front of you aapne sasrekal bola tha you are from maharashtra तो मतलब ये आप सोच के आए थे और दिस इज नेचुरल सर नो आई थिंक इट्स नेचुरल बिकॉज यू नो यू बीन कमीशन टू द सिक लाइट इन्फेंट्री यू हैव स्पेंड बेटर पार्ट ऑफ योर लाइफ विद देम रोज सुबह शाम शाम जो है सतरीकाल ही सुनते हैं hmm. तो मुंह से वही निकलता है अभी भी वही निकलता है ऐसी समडी अभी डोरमेन वेन वी वॉकड इन वॉज अ सिक पर्सन ऐसे सतरीकाल नो इट जस्ट सेकेंड एज वेन यू ज्वाइन अ यूनिट that just goes yeah. to reinforce that agnivir point hmm. that when you join a unit you become one with that unit hmm. whether you are from place a or place b doesn't matter your unit is your life your unit is your family and you will do anything for them hmm. so that is how it you know translates and that is what the army strength is that we are one Thank you, sir, very much. Thank you so much for speaking to us and giving us a kind of an uh, insight into what is uh, what happened uh, in 2020 and putting what is happening now into perspective. We are most honored that you spoke with us. Thank you. It was pleasure interacting with both of y'all, and I always have considered y'all as not only my good friends but good friends of the Indian Army, and I've always reported in a very objective manner on whatever we have done. Thank you. Thank you sir. Thank you for listening or watching this episode of ANI podcast with Smita Prakash. Do like or subscribe on whichever channel you have seen this or heard this. Namaste Jai Hind.